Greetings in the wonderful name of Jesus. Um, for those of you who know me, um, you'll probably know that I've got um, a love for music, a love and really a passion for music generally. Um, and I guess it's just always been that way. Um, and then specifically as a Christian musician, which, which I am, I've got a, a deep love and a passion for Christian music in particular. Many praise and worship songs that we sing um, speak either directly or indirectly about surrendering to God. So these songs often have titles and words in them like, I surrender all to you. Or all to Jesus, I surrender. Here's my life, Lord. You can have it all. I'm withholding nothing, Lord. Again, I surrender all to you. Torin Wells was one of the young uh, uh, contemporary gospel artists uh, that's around today. He sings a song, really cool song called You Are My Life. And again, if you, if you actually listen to the song and you sort of go through the words, uh, the theme of that song, again, speaks so much about surrender. Lord, you are my life. My life belongs to you. Um, all that I have is because of you. And so this theme within gospel music, within Christian communities of surrender, it's a theme that you find quite often. And one of the most likely reasons that songs about surrender are such a major feature in Christian communities is probably because for every single one of us as believers, our relationship with Christ started the day that we decided to surrender our lives to Christ, to become followers of Jesus Christ. And so every song that we sing about surrender reminds us about the day that we formed the most important relationship in our lives, our relationship with Christ. And so I'd like to start this message with sort of a comparison between some of the typical features of a life that's totally surrendered to God and contrast that with a life that is not. And so as I go through this message and as we look at different scriptures in the Bible, I'd like you just to think back to this table um, and think back to these comparisons uh, as we go through the message. Amen. So let's begin. So on the one hand, um, we've got a life that's totally surrendered to God. And on the other hand, that's being compared with a life that's not fully surrendered to God. So if my life is fully surrendered to God, the first point would be, I am surrendered always. And the emphasis here really is on the word always. So it's not just that I'm surrendered, but I'm surrendered always. By contrast, if I'm not living a life that's fully surrendered to God, then I have moments where I'm not fully surrendered to God. And that's really important. For me, really, this is the key. This is the crux of the total surrender issue. This is what you would call the heart of the matter. It's the hardest part to get right, and it's the easiest place for you and I as believers to slip up. And this needs sort of constant monitoring and self-evaluation and introspection. So it's not that you and I as believers are living this life where we're completely unsurrendered 
and doing our own thing. It's really those moments that we need to make sure in those moments where we faced with that choice of do I surrender all or do I try to make my own plan? Do I try to come up with my own solution? Do I lean on the arm of flesh? It's in those moments. So a life that's not fully surrendered to God has moments where you're not surrendered. Point number two, a life that's totally surrendered to God. When you're totally surrendered to God, I'm implicitly obedient to God's instruction. Implicitly obedient to God's instruction. When your life is not fully surrendered to God, then you have moments of disobeying what God told you to do or where he told you to go or what he told you to say. Point number three, in a life that's totally surrendered to God, we take everything to God in prayer. Everything to God in prayer. By contrast, on the other hand, when our lives are not fully surrendered to him, then we tend to only take certain things to God in prayer. Another thing that we tend to do is we tend to take back the things that we've taken to God. So we've taken it to God, we've left it at the altar, we've said, Lord, I can't anymore. You know, I've come to the end of my rope. This is where you step in and I'm leaving it at the altar. I'm taking it to you in prayer. And then the next day we, we find ourselves sort of taking it back from God, that very thing that we've left um, at his feet. Point number four, when you're living a life that's fully surrendered to God, um, you make God your plan A, your plan B, and your plan C. By contrast, when you're not living a life that's fully surrendered, you, are, you, you tend to find yourself making plans on the side in, just in case that this God plan fails for whatever reason. When your life is totally surrendered to God, you believe the impossible can be done. When your life is not fully surrendered to God, you only trust God to a certain point of possibility. And the truth is, when you're only trusting God for what's possible, the truth is you aren't really having faith or trusting and believing that God is able to do what he says he can do. When your life is fully surrendered, you're making God's words your words. And by contrast, when your life is not fully surrendered to him, you rely on your own ability to persuade, what we often refer to as the gift of the gab. So instead of relying on God's words, you're trying to persuade people with your own words. When your life is fully surrendered to God, you trust God and you're trusting in Him to add the increase. You know that, it's, that that's His area of expertise, that He's the one who adds the increase. When your life is not fully surrendered to Him, you become frustrated when you don't see immediate evidence of that increase. And once again, you start to make your own plans. When you're living a life that's fully surrendered to God, you wait for God to promote you. By contrast, when your life is not fully surrendered, there's a, there's a lot of evidence of self-promotion, and it's often self-promotion by any means necessary. When your life is fully surrendered to God, then you know that God is your source and you act accordingly. By contrast, when your life is not fully surrendered to God in those moments, you can often find yourself 
turning to other sources for help, even ungodly sources. When your life is fully surrendered to God, you don't compromise on your godly standards. And by contrast, when your life is not fully surrendered to God, you're willing to take shortcuts, pay bribes, uh, and even slide cash under the table. When your life is fully surrendered to God, you answer to one master and to one savior. And by contrast, when your life is not fully surrendered to God, you answer to whoever calls the loudest. When you're living a life that's fully surrendered to God, He is Lord and He's got dominion and He's got access to every single part of your life, even the ugly and broken pieces. There are no parts of your life that are out of bounds to Him. And by contrast, of course, when you're not living a surrendered life, you tend to keep certain parts of your life away from God. Um, foolishly thinking that it's actually possible to do that. When you're living a life that's fully surrendered to God, you surrender your will to God's will. So Lord, I surrender my will to your will. I give your will preeminence over my life. By contrast, when you're not living a surrendered life, you still want to do it your way. When you're living a surrendered life, what's yours is God's to use. Whatever you have, Lord, whatever I've got, Lord, I'm available. Uh, whatever, whatever is mine, Lord, it's yours. And you can use me and you can use it in any way that you want. When you're not living that fully surrendered life, then you want God's stuff. But at the same time, you want to say, Lord, I want what's yours, but what's mine is mine. Hands off, don't touch. When you're living a fully surrendered life, you let go and you let God. By contrast, when you're not living a fully surrendered life, you tend to hold on trying to do it in your own strength. A life that's fully surrendered to God is a life where you live and you walk by the Spirit. And when it's not fully surrendered to God, you tend to live and walk by the flesh in those moments. And lastly, when you are living a life that's fully surrendered to God, your body belongs wholly to God. That's H-O-L-Y, to God. And by contrast, when you're not living a surrendered life, then you haven't fully surrendered your body to Christ. And so, I'd like you just to keep this in the back of your mind, just keep thinking about this table, sort of as a reference point, sort of as a, guide, a guiding point for you as we go through this message and as we go through uh, the various passages of, passages of Scripture. Now, when it comes to any behavior that, you, that I want to introduce or work on in my own life, my starting point is to always try to find someone in Scripture, someone in the Bible whose actions I can mirror, whose heart I can mirror, whose attitude I can mirror. And I have to say that if you're looking for a good example, <laughs> In just about every single instance, in fact, in every single instance, you, you're not doing too bad if you're using Jesus as your example. And that's what I'm going to do today. So let's begin. Point number one, Jesus surrenders his will to the will of the Father. Let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 22, and we'll read verse 40 to verse 42. 
from the Amplified Bible. Reading verse 14. When he arrived at the place called Gethsemane, he said to them, to his disciples, Pray continually that you may not fall into temptation. Verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup of divine wrath from me. Yet not my will, but always yours be done. Yet not my will, but always yours be done. Now let's just understand something. Of course we know this, this, this passage of scripture is, is, is in those moments um, just before G- Jesus was about to be crucified and he knew what, what was going to happen to him. He was laying down his life. He knew that he was going to be crucified on the cross. So it's important. The context is really, really important. Just as important as the words. Because Jesus grew up in a society and in a community where, you know, if your, if your offense, if your crime was serious enough, uh, the punishment um, that it warranted could be that you could be crucified. And so he would have grown up in a time and in an era and in a community and in a, in a society where crucifying someone um, was part of, you know, the way that someone was punished. Again, if the crime that they committed was serious enough. And so Jesus most likely would have seen this happen before, or he would have heard at the very least about someone who's been crucified. And remember when you were crucified, you were crucified on a hill somewhere and you were left there to die. Um, and, you know, either while you were enduring this, this, this punishment or even after you'd, you'd, you'd already died, people would either be walking by or people would see that you had been crucified. So there was no one who, who lived during that time who didn't have a very real picture, a very real solid idea of, wh- of what that meant to be crucified, to be nailed to a cross and to be left there to hung, to bleed and to die. There was no one living during that time, during that dispensation that didn't fully understand what it meant to be crucified. And so Jesus knows this, he knows that he's about to experience the most excruciating, the most painful um, thing that he's ever, ever had to experience in his life. He knows what he's about to go through. He knows the anguish that he's about to experience. And it's, and it's, it's, it's very real and it's, it's, it's causing him distress. And so within that context, of knowing what he's about to go through, knowing how he's going to be humiliated, how he's going to be uh, tortured, how he's going to be crucified. Within that context, he's still able to say the words, yet not my will, but always yours be done. Sometimes um, the topic that, that, that's, that's being put forward or the, the, the topic of discussion is a very light-hearted topic. This wasn't the context um, of the scripture. Jesus was going through the anguish. Jesus was feeling the emotion uh, preceding his crucifi- crucifixion, preceding his death. He was going through all of that 
emotional turmoil and strife. And he was still able to say, knowing what he knew, he was still able to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, I'm taking my will and I'm placing it under submission of your will. Your will trumps my will. I'm fully surrendering my will to you, Father God. And I ask myself the question, how do you get to that point? How do you get to this point where Jesus was, where you are living so fully surrendered to God the Father? How do you get to that point? Does it happen overnight? Does it happen by chance? Is it, is it, is it sort of a once-off experience, perhaps? Or maybe this is something that has to be as a result of this being your normal daily life, your normal daily habit that you've developed over a number of years. And so we find the answer in the book of John chapter 5 and verse 19. So Jesus answered them by saying, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, the son can do nothing of himself of his own accord, unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever things the Father does, the Son in his turn also does in the same way. In other words, there's nothing that I'm doing that I haven't seen my Father do. There's nothing that I'm saying to you that I haven't heard my Father say. Whatever things the Father does, the Son in His turn also does in the same way. I'm fully surrendered to Father God. John chapter 5 and verse 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative or authority. Just as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, fair, righteous, and unbiased, because I do not seek my own will, but only the will of Him who sent me, fully surrendered. I surrender my will to your will, Father God. In summary, we can see that Jesus lived a life where it was normal for him to only carry out the will of the Father and to only do what he sees the Father do and only say what he hears the Father say. So when he prayed out or when he prayed about his own uh, 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 death, uh, that, was, that, that, that he was about to experience, he could pray in the same manner as he had lived his daily life, fully surrendered to the will of the Father. Nevertheless, yet not my will, but always, not in some circumstances, not in some situations, always your will be done. So if Jesus took something as significant and as serious as the crucifixion, if he took that to the Father in prayer, what then should we take to God in prayer? Should we only take it to God in prayer if it really is, if it falls in this category, if it's really this serious, if it's something really weighty, if it's something really important? Is God not interested in me sweating him about the small stuff? So what is it? What should I take to God in prayer? Philippians, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says the following. Do not be anxious or worried about anything, but in 
everything, in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. So, God wants me to include Him in every area of my life. The big things, He wants to be included. He wants to be granted access. The small things, the exact same principle applies. Whether it's the important things in life, life-changing events, life-changing decisions, or whether it's the day-to-day, seemingly mundane, seemingly insignificant things. The scripture says, in everything, in every circumstance and situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your specific requests known to God. God is interested in every single area of my life, and therefore, I should take to God in prayer every single area of my life. If I'm fully surrendered, I need to bring everything to God. And then also learn, as I said earlier at the beginning, not to take things back. You see, we often pray that prayer similar similar to the experience of the woman with the issue of blood, where she tried absolutely everything. She tried every physician. She tried, she'd spent every cent, every penny that she had trying to get a solution to her problem that had tormented her year after year after year. And she'd really come to the end of of herself. Financially, emotionally, physically, she was spent. And we often pray those kind of prayers. Lord, I've come to the end of my rope. I don't know what else to do. I've tried everything. I've spoken to everyone else. And Lord, I've got nowhere else to turn to. You are the only one left. And so, Lord, I'm coming to you. Please help me, Lord. I don't know what else to do or where else to turn to. I'm leaving it at the altar, Lord. I'm leaving it at your feet because there is no other solution for me. I have no other way. You are the only way, the truth and the life. We pray those prayers and we leave these things at the altar and we place them in God's hands. But very often, unfortunately, the next day or two days later or three days later, we find ourselves in a sense taking it back. And again, trying to make our own plan, trying to make a plan B, trying to make a plan C, trying to make a plan D, for some or other reason, not believing that God will do what he said he would do. And it is able. Hallelujah. Point number three, after you you pray, he will answer. I have to emphasize this. After you bring whatever it is to God in prayer, he will answer And what comes after he answers must be obedience. So you would have prayed about it and God will answer you. And what is expected of you and I after he answers us is obedience. 1 Samuel chapter 15 verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You know, sometimes I wonder if when we pray, we're actually expecting God to answer us. Or do we sometimes pray 
and sort of think that we've invented a new form of conversation where there's no response from the other side. That all we do is just pray, 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 and we don't really, do we truly expect that God will answer us? Or do we just actually think that it's going to be one-way traffic? I've got news for you. In case you didn't know, He is a God who answers prayer. If you are living a fully surrendered life, His expectation is that when He answers, you will obey. Point number four, it does not matter what people call you, what matters is who you answer to. I'm going to say that again. It does not matter what people call you, or even who's calling you, what matters is who you answer to. John chapter 10, verse 27 and verse 28, reading from the King James Version. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. What a beautiful passage of scripture. If I could amend it, I would only add the words fully surrendered. So my fully surrendered sheep, they hear my voice, I know them, they follow me, they live forever, they will never perish, and no demon in hell can pluck them out of my hand. Wow. Lord, my prayer today, in every area, in every aspect of my life, search me, Lord, and Lord, please make me a fully surrendered sheep. Don't make me a superstar. Don't make me world famous. Don't make me this or that or the other. Lord, make me a fully surrendered sheep because I want this. I want to hear your voice. I want you to know me, Lord. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to live forever. And I want to find myself in the place where nobody will be able to pluck me out of your hand. Lord, make me a fully surrendered follower of Christ. Point number five. When I'm living a fully surrendered life, what's mine is God's to use, no matter how seemingly small, ordinary, or insignificant. When I'm living a fully surrendered life, what is mine is God's to use, no matter how seemingly small, ordinary, or insignificant. Exodus chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 5, from the New King James Version. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose... They will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. Verse 5, that they may believe that the Lord God of of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. We see in this passage of scripture how God used 
Moses' walking stick. Essentially, the rod that Moses was carrying in his hand. The rod that he probably used to traverse the mountains, to navigate the rocks. The, the, the rod, the stick, the walking stick that Moses had in his hand. Something seemingly insignificant, something seemingly unimportant, something seemingly mundane. He used Moses' walking stick because Moses in that moment was surrendered and was obedient and did what God told him to do. We already spoke about how obedience to God's words and his instruction is a crucial part of living a surrendered life. This is yet another example to emphasize the importance of being obedient to God's word. Point number six. Why does it matter to whom I am surrendered? And this point is in the form of a question. Why does it matter whom, who I am surrendering to? Romans chapter 6 and verse 16, reading from the Amplified Bible. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, you are the slaves of the one whom you obey? Either slaves of sin, which leads to death, and why would you want to find yourself in that equation? Or you are a slave of obedience, which leads to righteousness, right standing with God. Do you not know that when you continually offer yourselves to someone to do his will, when you are fully surrendered, when you fully surrendered and you say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. If you're surrendering your will to God's will, then you are a slave to obedience. You're obedient to him, which leads to righteousness, right standing with God. And this is why it matters. This is why it's important who you're surrendering to. There are consequences attached to who or to what you are obeying. But either way, you are always either obeying Satan or God. And remember that friendship with the world means enmity with God. This is especially, this next point is especially, but not only for the young people. Point number seven, why is it important to surrender my body to God and not just my heart and my mind? Why is it important to surrender my body to God? Romans chapter 6 and verse 13. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. But offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive, raised from the dead to a new life. Remember the old things have passed away and everything's become new. So alive, raised from the dead to a new life, and your members, all of your abilities, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness, yielded to God, surrendered to God, obedient to God, fully surrendered. Hallelujah. Being fully surrendered means every part of my body is an instrument of righteousness. It's sanctified. It's set apart. It's raised to a new life 
in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6 and verse 19, I'm speaking in familiar human terms. Because of your natural limitations, your spiritual immaturity, for just as you presented your bodily members as slaves to impurity and to moral lawlessness, leading to further lawlessness, just as you were so passionate about serving the enemy, in other words, so now offer your members your abilities, your talents, as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification that is being set apart for God's purpose. Hallelujah. Point number eight. I should live a life or I should live a fully surrendered life because it's not my life any longer. I should be living a fully surrendered life because as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it's not my life any longer anyway. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 from the NIV. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ and Stuart Bishop, I no longer live. I'm not living anymore. The person that you're speaking to, the person whose birth certificate says Stuart Ashton Bishop, and whose ID book thereafter said Stuart Ashton Bishop, that person isn't alive anymore. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I'm now living, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What are we saying? We're saying that if you're living a fully surrendered life, you should be living it because you're living it for Christ because the life that you're living isn't yours any longer. You don't live for yourself anymore. Hallelujah. I no longer live. I live by faith in the Son of God. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39, reading from the NIV, whoever finds their life will lose it. So the thing that you're holding on to, if you want to preserve your life, you're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I no longer live for, for the sake of Jesus Christ. Christ lives in me. I've given, I've, I've given my life, my all to him. You are my life, Lord. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I no longer live, but at the same time, <laughs> I will live forever. Because whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Amen. In Him, we live and move and we have our being. Now, now that you are convinced that you need to live a surrendered life, the follow-up question is, what do you need to surrender? What do you and I need to surrender? And the answer is everything. What is it that we need to surrender? Absolutely everything. What is it that we need to bring to God in prayer? Absolutely everything. What is it that God wants when it comes to you and I? He wants our all. He wants us to surrender 
absolutely everything. He wants you and I to let go and let him be God Almighty. Surrender is literally giving up all control. It is telling God that we are not big enough, strong enough to deal with our worries. And he has to step in. He must take over. When we finally, finally let go of all of our worries, we give God room to wield his mighty arm in our lives. We give him room. We give him space. We give him access. We, we allow him in. And we allow him to be Jehovah Al-Gibor, the mighty warrior, in our lives. When our hands are weak and tired, God's hands are strong and powerful. Psalm 89 and verse 13, reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. Powerful is your arm. Strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Wow. That's the God that you serve. That's the God that you need to be fully surrendered to. Why would you try to do this in your own strength anyway? When you've got someone like that in your corner, powerful is your arm, strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. If I do anything less than surrendering absolutely everything, I am by definition not fully surrendered. I'm not allowing God to be strong where I am weak. When I said yes to Sally Ann, or well, kind of the other way around when she said yes to me, but for the purpose of this example, when I said yes to Sally Ann, I said no to every other woman on the face of the planet. You see, I'm not halfway married or partially married to Sally Ann. I am not married during the week and single on the weekends. I'm fully committed. I'm fully surrendered. I'm all in. She's got all of me. If you would not want a partially committed spouse, why do you think God would be happy with you being partially surrendered in your Christian life? There's no parent who wishes that their child would only obey them some of the time. Or that their child would only share some of the details of their life with them. Or that when they are given an instruction, that their child only partially carries out the instruction as given by them as a parent. So why do we expect it to be okay for Father God? The final and most compelling reason why we should live our lives fully surrendered to God is because ultimately He formed us and knows us better than anyone else. So if you're really still not convinced about why you should live a life that's fully surrendered to God, fully surrendered to Christ, the answer is simple. It's because ultimately He formed you and He knows you better than anyone else. He knows exactly what you need and his thoughts towards you and I are precious thoughts. And I'm going to end with those, with the reinforcement of those thoughts. Amen. Psalm 139 from verse 13 to verse 18, reading from the Amplified Bible. For you formed my innermost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I will give thanks and praise to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being formed in secret and intricately and skillfully formed, as if embroidered with many colors in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were appointed for me, when as yet there was not one of them even taking shape. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Verse 18. If I could count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. My prayer to you today is that you and I would get to that point. We're pressing towards the mark of the prize of the high calling that's in Christ Jesus. We're not there yet. We're not perfect. We slip up. We do make mistakes. But my encouragement to you this, this morning, as you're listening to this message, is that you would really make every, every effort in those moments where you're faced with that decision. Do I fully rely on God or do I make a plan B? Do I stand by His word? Do I, do I make Him source? Do I acknowledge Him as, as source? Do I give Him His rightful place in my life? Or do I look to other sources? When you're in those moments, my encouragement to you is to live a life that's fully surrendered to Christ. And being fully surrendered to Him means He is your plan A, He is your plan B, He is your plan C. And when we say, Lord, I surrender, you are my life. I'm withholding nothing. I'm giving it all to you, Lord. You can have your way, Father. Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Your will takes preeminence over my will. I'm submitted completely, wholly, fully. Every single part, Lord, there's nothing of me that you don't have access to. You know me in any case better than anyone else knows me. You formed me in my mother's womb. So, Lord, I choose in those moments, I choose in those moments to live a fully surrendered life. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.